I always joke I have a PhD, public high school diploma, and then a PhD um, just in life and marketing, like on the job um, that I learned. I mean, all the time and real life experience. And I mean, I could probably write a paper on it. I probably have the equivalent of all the time if I had gone to school. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. Linked insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friend. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So today, I have Annalise. I said your name correctly, right? Annalise. Annalise. Ah, Annalise. It's okay. No, it's actually, it's a funny story. On the day that Dustin asked permission to marry me, my dad said I was Annalise with option to buy and he could take me off the market. That's a good one. I like that. I like that's a very good I one. I tell it to everyone who wants to know how to pronounce my name. I used to be really embarrassed by it, but it's just part of my story. And now I help dads. So I get to tell a dad joke. So, okay. No, that, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so, what do you do? Well, I own a business. I never miss a moment consulting. I do marketing consulting. I'm a marketing vendor broker. And in corporate terms, I'm a fractional CMO, but um, in more like the layman's terms of the demographic I help, I'm a marketing um, manager, advertising manager. Okay, that's for, awesome. So um, what yeah. do you do day to day? Like, what does that even mean? I hone in and help fathers who own family-owned businesses. And I help them mainly with advertising. So their Google ads is where we help a lot. And then the marketing vendor broker, which I've heard called, I'm the eHarmony of marketing vendors. I don't okay. know how many people that relates with, especially the age of your audience. Um, but it's not Tinder for sure. But I match up uh, business owners with marketing vendors. Um right personality, right style, right um, price points. And so I have a network of vendors that I connect and uh, we all kind of work in an ecosystem and help each other out. Wow, that's such a cool job and very interesting. So what would you say is your blueprint for success? Like what did you follow to get to where you are? I would have to say it's all in who you know. I've been told that my superpower is connecting. So... I've always connected other people. And in turn, I think that keeps me top of mind and they um, will refer me back and remember me. But I mean, even my first corporate job where I got hired, if I hadn't have worked with a recruiter, never would have happened. So it was really my whole story has kind of just been all who you know. That's so important. And I think another part of your story is you have to lean in on your superpower. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen so many people who are told you're so good at this and they shy away with it. And I find that once you lean in to what you're good at, good things happen. And so you're a connector. You connected. It got you opportunities. And now you ended up being a connector. Connector literally in the business I own. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So and that's why you do so well at it. Well, I I can just be myself every day, which is great. I don't think I've ever struggled with being who I am, at least, you know, leaning into my talents, it's morphed along my story, which I guess we'll get into here. But 
from a young age, um, my dad, we would be walking in a neighborhood and I would say, daddy, who's that? And he says a neighbor. I was always raised with connecting. Somebody else was a new friend to meet. And it's just always been how I've lived my life. What are some of like the realistic salaries for someone in the marketing area who does what you do? Like, what are the salary ranges that someone can make? Yeah. So when I was in corporate sales, people could make anywhere from 60 to, I mean, there were people that made mid 200s, just probably more, just depending on commissions. I think it depends on if someone's a solopreneur or, you know, is going to have an agency. I, I can't give you the agency ranges. I'm really not familiar, but I would say maybe same numbers, 60 to, I mean, probably even higher. I mean, definitely higher multiple six figures, just depending on how much they want to put into it, how much time, that kind yeah. of thing. Okay. So. No, that's good to know. I, I know that marketing and then marketing sales, there are like some mm -hmm. referrals and these referrals, mm -hmm. especially if you refer someone to something that costs a hundred K a year, even at yeah. like a few thousand. And if you're doing, you know, even one or two of those a month, you can make some very good money. So now let's take it back. How okay. is high school like for you? And what do you want to be in high school? In high school? So I'll actually go back to when I was 12. So I'm a pretty type A person, pretty direct. And I guess I had mouthed off to my mom one too many times. And she said, you know, you'd make a great attorney with that mouth. Now, my mom's not big into conflict. So she didn't mean it as a compliment. But my confident self was like, I would, wouldn't I? From that point, I don't know why, but I had wanted to be an attorney. I did mock trial in high school. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that yeah, or if they even still am. have it now. But yeah, like we would get real cases and we would go try in front of like real judges and they would grade us and it was a competition. I went to a leadership forum on law when I was 16. I mean, everything about my life was actually going to be an attorney because I wanted to advocate for people. And actually specifically children, because um, I learned that they didn't have a voice in the court system until they were a certain age. And it really bothered me because I'm like, these kids know what's happening to them. Like, why can't not understanding what I do now as a mom, you know, that they were trying to protect these children. But like my naive 16 year old self was like, you know, why can't they testify for themselves? So um, I wanted to be a child advocate. I actually wanted to do it pro bono. That was all of high school was that was the focus. Was, now, was being an attorney. Yeah. So now you went through high school. Did you have any jobs in high school? I was actually a um, basketball camp counselor. So I taught people how to keep their elbow in and flick their wrist and yeah. properly shoot. I was never the office girl. I was never the retail girl. I, I had to be out and about and moving. <laughs> yeah. So now high school, you graduated. What came next? Next came, um, I actually got a Navy ROTC scholarship to go to Boston College. A lot of people in Cincinnati just want to get the heck out of Cincinnati. There's just this desire to get away. Now, ironically, once I went, all I wanted to do was come home. I was more excited at Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, those kind of breaks. Have a lot of respect for our military, but the Navy was not for me. It was a really good educational experience, but I actually um, got injured, um, injured my knee. And that was, was a blessing, but I went to Boston college for philosophy and my best friend growing up, her dad was an elder law attorney. And I said, what degree should I do? 
and he said poli-sci or philosophy. Well, I did not want to do poli-sci, picked philosophy, and I got to debate for a living, which is great, being my personality. And then I actually ended up coming back home and went to Xavier for a year, did um, philosophy, politics, and the public there. There's a whole long story to why I transferred to UC, but then after a quarter, I stopped seeing the point of going to school. And this is, I think, where it'll be relevant for your listeners. I was very just disenchanted and everything that, you know, like you watch A Few Good Men and Tom Cruise on JAG and you think it's like all glamorous and I realized it wasn't and um, it's not what I wanted to be anymore when I grew up. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I didn't see the point of paying thousands of dollars to not know what I wanted to do just to get something that might not even matter. And so I dropped out. So you dropped out. Now, what was the plan? Uh, Well, the plan was to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, because at that point I was 19. So for seven years of my life, everything had been focused around being an attorney. I still wanted to advocate for people in some way. I didn't know what that looked like. So I actually got a job first as a hostess at a little brunch place. Then I was a server at Fridays. Then I was a nanny. Then I managed an ice cream shop. Um, and I finally was recruited into something that started to make sense because all those were really just to make money. Yeah. Uh, they were great experience and they were great experience and what I didn't want to do. But I was recruited into sales, which was one of the first times where I really saw some talents shine, really like kind of, you know, got that buzz and that high of like, I really like what I'm doing. I'm good at what I'm doing. And I was the person, and I don't know if they have anything like this in New York, but if you're familiar with Cincinnati, there's a theme park here called Kings Island. So I literally would grab families off the street that were heading to a ride with their kids and sell you the vacation that you went on to go see a timeshare presentation. Okay. That was my first somewhat big girl job that I did. How was that job? You know, it, it had positives and negatives. I think it was one of the first signs that I probably wanted to work for myself because it was the first time I had a manager who was pretty selfish. He saw my talents and so he obviously made more if I sold more. I mean, that's how sales management generally works. So he tried to put me into a bunch of shifts that just really didn't fit in with my schedule. And so that was a negative. The positives, I loved the people. I loved that vibe when you connected with someone and you found someone where you were filling a need and the overcoming objections and realizing that I was all pretty good at that. It was really hot. I mean, there were some days where I'm like, I'm just not going because it's hot. It was the first job where I, not that this wasn't true, you know, in restaurant or retail, but where I really was like, I'm not in control. And I didn't like that. And, you know, the money was 100% commission. So that was, eh. but I liked aspects of it. I, it was the first time where I really found something of like, I could be really good at this. How long did you keep that job? Probably around a year, I would say. What made you decide to leave? The manager. At that point, I had started my first entrepreneurial journey that was more kind of like an apprentice type situation. But a lot of our trainings were in the evenings and on weekends. And I found myself more drawn to that and more passionate to that than I was just 
a sales job that I, I wasn't particularly passionate about what I was selling. I just liked the buzz from it, if that makes sense. He put me on the schedule on a Saturday and no other days, Monday through Friday, which is when I normally worked. So I had been contacted by a recruiter at that point, and I don't want to jump ahead, but I said, I don't care what it is. Maybe I won't even stay there, but let's figure this out because I've got to get out of here because I I wasn't going to be controlled and forced to do something that was just surely to benefit somebody else because he didn't like that I had a mind of my own. But honestly, that's kind of messed up that not even one day, so you lose out on pay. Not even one day during the weekday, and the only day is a Saturday, and it's like okay, so yeah. I I literally get a day that I normally don't work, and I don't get any of the other days. I mean, yeah. even doesn't matter. He was if making you're, a statement. Yeah, he, and, he was he was making a statement. And I'm glad you chose yourself. I'm glad you chose yourself because Me too. it was worth it. So, what opportunity did the recruiter have for you? So he actually, and this is funny. So it's not what I ended up doing for 14 years, but it's how I got my foot in the door. So. It was actually a sales position at um, Yellow Book, which was uh, the phone book. Yeah. I sold um, the ads that went in the phone book is what I got recruited to do. So my first interview was on a Tuesday. My second interview was on a Thursday. My ride day was on a Friday. They offered me the job on Friday and I quit before Saturday when I didn't have to work. Oh, I like it. I like it. It was very vindicating. It's kind of a sweet justice to it. No, I love it. So now, how was this job? I really liked my manager. I was thrown into the deep end. I was 21 years old. I had never been in corporate. Um, it was my really first big girl job. Like you had to be in at eight and they had meetings and they had trainings and they had check-ins at the end, um, which back then was, you know, pretty typical of sales just to keep people on track. There was a part of me that really didn't like that because I'm like, are you checking up on me? But I also understood because it was that they were trying to create that team. Like, hey, like, how did it go? And that accountability. I loved that I could get in my car and just go and do my thing. I really liked that part. Thankfully, I had a mentor. So back then they had someone who went with you. So you weren't just like, you know, going in and doing, you know, whatever. Um, I did uh, have a three-week training in Philly. So I actually got to have my first Philly cheesesteak. I still remember that. So we were role-playing and we were learning all the lingo and we were learning. We had homework every night. I mean, it was it was very intense. Like when I say that I was thrown into the deep end, but I really liked the culture at the time. Um, in the beginning, um, I liked the people that I was working with. I got to meet some of my were going to be co-workers and some of them were all across the country, but it started like this little bond because then you you saw the people you were in training with on the scoreboard, you know, across the nation. And so it, it started that little friendly competition. It was just funny to me that I was a 21-year-old that was selling ads in the phone book, but that's where yeah. we started. What'd you learn at this job? What are the skills that you picked up that really helped you in the future? Oh my goodness, so much. Um I always say people that come into the marketing space now, they're drinking from a fire hose. It There is so much. There's so many options. But I think the beauty of me getting hired at the time and space, so to speak, that I did, I did the phone book and I was designing ads, which actually going back to high school, something I forgot to mention, I was... Um, editor-in-chief of my high school newspaper. So I learned to write articles and I learned to lay out 
pages and ads and things like that. So I brought that skill forward. That wasn't completely unfamiliar to me. And then, you know, just interacting with customers. I mean, sales. I mean, I learned all on the job, overcoming objections. But then it was all the just different digital pieces. So we started out with something they called INT, which was literally for internet. So that was the code. So they could put their ad on the internet on yellowbook.com. That was like the first big thing in like 2007. And then 2008, I actually got Google certified. And so I've been Google certified since 2008. Along the way, got a Microsoft certification for a Microsoft Display, Facebook. So Facebook ads, we were trained. We were literally one of two Facebook partners. So it was Yellowbook who became Haibu. So they changed the name. Thank God. Um, and then they, um, and Constant Contact. So we were one of two in the entire nation. So we got kind of like one-on-one training by Facebook. So all of these little products that came out, I, I learned about SEO. I learned about, like I said, Google ads. I learned about display. I learned about websites. I learned all the inner workings of, of how websites work. So I always joke I have a PhD, public high school diploma, and then a PhD um, just in life and marketing, like on the job um, that I learned. I mean, all the time and real life experience. And I mean, I, I could probably write a paper on it. I probably have the equivalent of all the time if I had gone to school because I think there's like digital marketing degrees now, which is funny to me because they're not accurate. So yeah, but I I got to learn all of that as I went. And I'm really grateful that I got to digest it as I went. But I don't think I would have ever learned that in college. Yeah, no, Not, not in how it applied like real time with a real business and see how it was impacting them and you know, you, you get those pretty reports in your email. I mean, it was like, no, like this is bringing in business or it's not like it, it was pass fail with the business owner. So they didn't give to, you know, what's about, you know, that pretty report. Like if their phone wasn't ringing with the right kind of phone calls, they weren't staying with you. It really shows that you got the comprehensive experience because mm-hmm. each of those domains can go really deep. So touching all them really gives you, I guess, what is it called? T-shaped marketer. I guess that's the term. Um, Now, how long did you have that job? Almost 14 years. Wow. 14 years. Yep. So, I mean, when you're in sales, you're making good money. You know, I had a base. I had commission. I was in control of how much I made. I had control of when I wanted to stop working, if I wanted to take vacation, you know, paid or unpaid. And we didn't start our family um, until right around that time. Uh, Dustin and I have been married for 16 and a half years. And it was just us. So at the time, and it's funny thinking back, a lot of people ask me, Annalise, why don't you just start your own company? And the reason that I gave them, which is very indicative of why Never Miss a Moment is very different. I mean, it really started here, as I said, if I went on out on my own, I don't do any of these things. So I would have to partner with someone and I would have to charge you more. And I didn't want to pass on more to the client than they needed to pay. Like that's always been at the core of who I am. Um, So I stayed there because I figured it was the best way for them to get me. Um, And at the time it was still a product that I believed in. And towards the end, as they started to go for, you know, more money and more power, as some companies do, that changed. But it was just the best of both worlds at the time. 
there wasn't a reason to to do anything different. How'd you get better at sales? Um, like during your time, like what were the things you did? Because there are very few times where it's like, hey, the first year I entered, I was the absolute best. There are some little things that you learn along the way. Was I really? actually won President's Club my first year? Yeah. But were you the best salesperson that you could be during the first year? Oh or, no. So. That's what I mean in that you can be the best in your group, but you're not the best that you can be because over time you learn little intricacies, you make mistakes, yeah. you learn little trends and all that. It might sound like a strange answer to the question, but I raised the caliber of who I was selling to and they didn't tolerate certain things, right? I mean, you can go, my very first sale was to a martial arts school and I, I will never forget it. It was for $50 a month because they had this brag bag that if you got your first sale within six weeks, you got this in. I even went to this guy on a Saturday because I wanted this brag bag. I mean, salespeople are super competitive and it was for $50 a month. And it was a, it was the smallest ad that you could put in the phone book, but it was like a victory to me to get it right. Because Hindsight, it's interesting because something that I help a lot of my clients with now is looking at the metrics and whether it's working. And I was wasting a lot of time on the wrong people who were not the right demographic. They didn't have the money. They weren't going to be able to pay their bill. They weren't going to stay with me. I did had my own assignment. So I had current clients. And I learned a lot there. They were very, very gracious with me because they knew that I was new, but they asked me hard questions too. And so letting my customers challenge me and um, just being real with them. Like I, some salespeople, they're about the sale and then that's it. Like they don't seem to care past that point. That's never been me. Hey, are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, just to name a few, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. I had an 83% retention rate like through 14 years. It was very important to me that what I was selling was actually working. I, I took it personal if it wasn't. And... I kind of started a trend. Um, so I mentioned in 2008, we, and I'll, I'll this is going to answer your question, but we got Google certified. So we started selling Google ads. We were one of the first resellers for Google. And the way that it worked is if you got the sale, great, they give you a kickback. And if you didn't like, Hey, like we were still getting the name of Google out to the public um, that they were working with small to medium businesses. That was kind of what we were, cause they would, <laughs> People, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but people say, oh, Google called me. And I'm like, no, they didn't. And I'm like, Google doesn't make outbound calls to anyone, you know, that spends 10,000 or, or less a month. Like they just don't do it. Resellers do it. So I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> I'm like, check if they have an at google.com email. Like 
it wasn't Google. And they're like, oh, because there was a lot of scams back then of people pretending to be Google. So back to your question, if a dollar that they were investing wasn't working, I figured out a way to get it to work. And so I would transition people. I would like, look, this is your budget. Let's pull part of your money from the phone book and let's transition it over to Google and let's get you some calls that are actually going to produce. And I actually back then, so we had recorded calls. They had a tracking number in the phone book and I would push this for people. Um, It was free. So it was a a number that would forward, remote call forwarding, would forward to their current number. They'd record it. And so we would know exactly what was happening with each call. And that kept me really honest because once I put that remote call forwarding in, like the results weren't going to lie. And I was always just very transparent with my clients and I would pull people out. Like if, if it wasn't working, if there was nothing we could put them in, I would shake their hand. I would thank them for their business and say, look, don't do this. My manager was not a fan of this, (laughs) but it earned me a really good reputation in the community that I was honest and I was doing what was best for the client. So it's a roundabout way to answer your question, but it was just by putting myself on the line of being data-driven versus doing the song and dance or, oh no, let's not do that because they knew that it might not be working and they didn't want to listen to the calls. I'd sit there with the customers and play the calls and be like, let's figure out what's happening. I had no idea I was being a CMO at the time. No idea because when I got started in sales, I was 21. So I didn't know all of these corporate fancy titles. I was just being myself. If that answers exactly your but no, it really answers it because what I found is the best salespeople are advisors and they care because you're not going to tell that martial arts school, hey, spend $5,000 a month on the, you know, the yellow pages and you'll do amazing. And it's like when their revenue may only be 10K a month and they got rent and bills and they have like part-time employees and they may not even be able to handle the volume and for a local school, that budget may just get the whole local area within a very short time period. And I find that when you care and you go deep, you learn about the real problems. Like they may be marketing and then you're like, well, you don't have a marketing issue. You're getting leads. You need to fix your operations because we can send you a lot of leads. But if you can't manage them and you're dropping the ball, your dollars are not going to go far. And you only learn that by actually caring. And I've seen some salespeople and I've worked with them where they sell it and they promise client, yeah, it can do this, it can do that. And it it's like, what? You didn't need that. It's like, you actually should get the lower plan. And it's not necessarily about making the most money. It's about making sure that you solve their pain points and you resolve their issues because you could sell them a high package, but if it's not what they need and they're getting ripped off, they're going to leave and they're never going to recommend you again. Whereas sometimes some of the clients 100%. that you give a small package to, they may have a friend they may have a cousin. Raving they may, fans. Yeah. Yep. And that's what you want. I have still someone who's a friend today. He's he's not a client right now because he can't afford me. Bless him. Um, calls me Annalisia. He, he always wears like a suit and tie every day. He's the sweetest man. But he was a raving fan of me. Introduced me to his son who was a banker who knew business owners. And he was never my biggest client ever. He just didn't have the budget to be. But I... I I got him what he could afford that was the best thing to help him. So 100%. And 
my philosophy was always, because yeah, a lot of people would go in, get the biggest sale they could because they were moving on. I had a long-term mentality. I knew I wasn't going anywhere. And I knew that if we could do a smaller package and then we could reinvest from the profits, which is the model I still use today in my company, there wouldn't be buyer's remorse. They would know that it was coming from the profits and they didn't have to pull from this budget that they didn't have. And people really liked it. So it earned a lot of trust. Now, during these 14 years, mm-hmm. what sale really like changed your trajectory? Like it was like, wow, I can't believe I sold this package. Or was there any ever sale like that for you? So there were a couple. Um, I was in a slump and I didn't feel like I could sell anything to anyone. And I went into my boss's office. I was frustrated. Um, I was really, really frustrated. He's like, you just need a win. And he gave me a call in lead. And I sold that gentleman um, initially a $900 a month Google ad program. He eventually increased to $5,000 a month. The biggest ticket item, um, so there were a couple. So one is Champion Windows here in Cincinnati. Um, I sold him a full page in the phone book, which at the time was like a really big deal. But it wasn't so much about what I sold him. It's that I landed him because it was just a a big name here. And at the time, like, I wish I still had their contact information and maybe I should go find it, but it was a parking company. They were entrepreneurs. They would rent out parking spaces from hotel owners. And then they had a website where you could go and get parking for less than you could at the airport. I sold them a $10,000 a month Google ads program that turned some heads. And we, we brought in, I mean, our biggest people, our top Google salespeople and analysts and everyone, they ended up taking it in house, which hindsight now as a business owner was the right move and good for them. But when I lost that, it was a rough year because making that back up probably just wasn't going to happen. Um, that hurt for President's Club that year, but it was the right move for them. But I would say the most impactful sale, I know I just listed like some bigger ones. It actually didn't start out as the biggest one. When people left my company, they would keep them on the manager's line and they wouldn't communicate to the owner that their sales rep had moved on, which I never agreed with. So I made up a title for myself because my manager and I did this all the time. He'd be like, who am I today? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You're the digital marketing specialist or whatever. Because Right. You can put anything on a business card. Yeah. Uh, Because we didn't want to let him know he was the manager. Right. So he was like the specialist. But I was the customer service manager. This is the name I made up for myself. And I would go into people who um, their sales rep had left. And maybe there was a reason why the sales rep had left and they didn't have the same philosophies I had. Well, Joe's Italian and he was not happy. And I ended up smoothing things over. It took a little bit. But when he bought for me, it was such a compliment because I had earned his trust. And I don't know if you've ever dealt, well, you're, you're in New York. So if you've dealt with Italians, like, you know, when they're upset and you know, when like you're on their good side. Um, and he's, you know, like I said, a client today, still, we can fast forward to that story if you want, but he's a good friend. And um, that was... Not that I had made it, but like I knew I had elevated. You you asked about becoming a better salesperson. Like to traverse 
everything that had to be traversed for that conversation, the personalities, the people skills, like he was one of the people who was like on par because right. There were some people that you could talk into and it wasn't, you know, that difficult. And you had to like, make sure you had a conscience or you were going to take them for a ride and they weren't going to know what was happening. I never did that, but I mean, you know what I mean? You've got those people that you could. Joe was not one of those people and Joe's super smart. He's probably my avatar for my time poor, but not marketing ignorant client. So that was probably my most impactful. That's amazing. Now let's fast forward. You decided (laughs) to leave. Well, it was decided for me. Um, so since 16 to 18 year olds are listening to this, hopefully my manager never will. Maybe they're kids. I don't know. So I sang a different tune than a lot of people because I wasn't stuck in the eighties thinking that we should get on and do a bunch of dials. Like it just, it never made sense to me. It was never effective and I don't like to waste my time. So, um, I was invited to uh, BNI at the time. And it just made sense, right? Like it was normally at lunchtime. Business owners don't want to talk to you at lunchtime, right? So I um, could sit in a room of, if you got into good ones, 30, 40, 60, hundreds of business owners and, and tell your pitch and do what we call now like virtual coffees online, but like do them in person and do kind of one-on-one calls. So I would do this every week. I would start my week with, you know, my meeting, I would do uh, what we called a one-on-one before do the meeting, do a one-on-one after I'd get three solid referrals. I would go then through the week and run those three solid referrals, which would get me three appointments. And I'd end up selling one of them or more. And I was working way less hard than everyone else. Well, my manager did not like this because I was disproving his theory and it worked all the way up until COVID happened. So COVID, uh, my daughter was born March 8th, country shut down on my birthday. Happy birthday to me on March 12th. And um, so I was out on maternity leave for three months. Well, I came back in June and this is where the idea of never miss a moment started to be born. I got really irritated because so we couldn't go see people, right? Because of COVID. So I had to call tonight. If there's anything I don't like, it is doing a, a total cold call. If there, if it's a little bit warm, I don't mind. It's it's not like I'm like afraid or my personality. Is, I don't see the point. If I can have a warm lead or a hot lead or I've never met you before and I might as well be opening the phone book. Just not my favorite thing. So we had Salesforce at the time and it was like babysitter central. Like we had to enter them in. We had to type in what was happening. As my three-month-old daughter is starting to roll at three and a half months and crawl at five and a half and sidestep at six and walk at nine, right? So all these moments are happening and I'm half missing them because I'm on the phone to keep my job. Did not like this. So one day in October, they asked me to get on a performance call, which I'm like, I mean, I had been top president's club winner, like for years. I'm like, okay, like seemed kind of random, but I was like, sure. Next thing I know, my boss is on there, his boss is on there, and I'm being told that my computer will be shutting off in two hours at noon and that I am no longer working for the company. And I will tell you, there have been very few moments I've ever felt that betrayed in my life. I mean, it was just a gut punch. I had an eight-month-old. We had a mortgage. My husband was running his company, but 
just being in sales, I was more of breadwinner and the stability in the house. And it was just such a mix of emotions. Like I probably should have gone to therapy for it. I'm fine. But like, it was just, I couldn't even look my daughter in the eye. I felt like I had done something wrong. I had done literally nothing wrong, but I just felt like I had let people down. And my husband looked at me and he said, why don't you start that consulting company you've always talked about? The one that for years, my clients have been like, why do you not own your own company? Um, And it's funny now, almost three years later, because I'm like, why didn't I do it sooner? But I think there was a perfect timing for everything. But I told HR when I was on the phone with them, um, more just out of courtesy, I said, look, I have 70 of my customers' cell phones in my phone. I am calling them and letting them know I am no longer with the company. You are not going to play games with my people and just let them sit on a line and let their income run and have nobody do anything about it because they did not want people to know that I was leaving. Um, They found a technicality to get rid of me. I was wrongfully terminated. They ended up paying unemployment, which is what let me run my company for the first year, kind of having that base. But they knew people were going to jump ship and call me if they knew that I was gone. So I just kind of let them know ahead of time. And the very next day, I got a text from the CMO of one of my clients and said, hey, do you want your first client? And I said, yeah. And he had been looking to retire. He knew the print world marketing, just genius, but just was so in over his head with digital and was respectful enough to admit to the owner, like, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Annalise just started her company. She's familiar with her account. She's been running everything since 2009. So that's, uh, was my first client, still a client today. We help them with Google ads. I'm their CMO. And I asked my husband for eight weeks. I said, look, I said, this is a really good test. November and December is a horrible time to try and start a company. And we've been going without missing a beat. Um, It'll be three years in November. Wow, that's awesome. And that's crazy. You got fired and then you got a client the next day. The next day, literally. It was really meant to be. And, you know, It it sucks that, you know, you were betrayed like that. And I've seen that happen to a lot of people. But I'm glad that you had like a quick transition and you had a lot of skills and you were able, yeah. like, it was something that you've always thought of. So wh- even though you were betrayed, it's not like you had to start from scratch. You already were kind of walking no. in that direction. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was, if my husband had, my husband's always been one of my biggest fans, um, always just, you know, rooted for me. And I don't know that I would have done it if he hadn't have, of pushed. I mean, I was raised by my dad, who's a baby boomer and stayed in a job for years he wasn't happy at because it was the responsible thing to do. So that was so ingrained in me because I had two old bosses I could have called and gotten hired in a second. But it's interesting because since we were in our 20s, we had always talked about me being home with the kids and we didn't know how it was going to look. And I'm a big believer in, you know, speaking things into existence. Um, cause it's just funny, like years before we had done that, having no clue how that was going to happen. It wasn't exactly a logical thing to say, but thankfully, I mean, it worked out the way it did because four months later we conceived Quinn. So we have kids 21 months apart and there's no way I could have done that in corporate. It never would have happened. But yeah, I mean, I, I realized I, you know, we're both on LinkedIn, like had a following 
so to speak. I had a lot of customers who, and it was funny, they came out of the woodwork because when I was gone, they came to me and said, I had no idea what I was providing for them at the time pro bono. Like I really didn't know the seeds that I was planting, but they said, Annalise, they don't do it like you do it. Like, what do I need to pay you to get what you used to do? And I was like, oh, like I remember having a call with a branding specialist and she's like, Annalise, you know, there's a term for what you do. And I was like, is there, I mean, tonight I was so naive when it came to anything corporate, which I think was like a blessing in a way, but she's like, yeah, it's called being a fractional CMO, which I think like before was maybe like outsourced marketing or something like fractionals, like a new term. And I was like, oh, like what I did was a thing, but I would, with my customers, I would go in and I would look at all of their marketing. This is another thing I think that made me a, a better salesperson. So I would look at all of their marketing and I would break down the numbers for them and in hopes that ours were the best and they generally were. And then I would steal dollars away from other people to, because one of the things we got graded on was increasing our bottom line. Now go in and do that for a living. But I, I practiced it for years. I just didn't know what I was doing, so to speak. Right. I think like, had I known that I may have started my company earlier. I just really didn't know what I was doing, but People paid me to do all kinds of things. I had people drop ship me diapers, bring me Kroger gift certificates for groceries. I was like, I didn't care. You know, if we didn't have to spend it and we got to take care of our kid and keep our house, I was like, cool. It's not like that today, but you know, in the beginning it was like, let's make this work. But yeah, I remember just getting my first check, you know, as a business owner. That was, that was a pretty cool day. I mean, it wasn't the biggest and it's not, you know, what we do now, but it was like, oh man, like I did this. Right. And I got to keep all of it. I didn't just get a percentage from a company. So that was a pretty cool realization. That is cool. So now let's go back and look at your whole career. What would you say was the hardest period that you went through? I would say this, this is going to maybe sound like a weird answer, but it it's one of the things that comes to mind. So we got married a week before I got hired and I had to go to a three week training. And at 21, like, I don't know that a lot of people would have had the maturity that we did, but it literally because of that training and taking it when we did, because who knows if, you know, another opportunity or if they would have been yeah. hiring again came along. But and was it paid training? My, yeah, that's actually a really good question. I mean, like we were so broke because um, we were 21 and 23. Just to, we were paying for a wedding ourselves. I was working at La Rosa's as a server because I, in that interim, because I, I didn't take the Saturday, right? So I was done there. Well, training and that didn't quite happen yet. So I literally got hired at a little pizza place to make some money to pay rent. And then, you know, I mean, they paid for the plane ticket and everything out there and like some of the meals, but not all of it. Right. And so like we had not a lot. Um, so it was just, I don't know if it was the most challenging part of my career. I mean, I'm kind of blanking on like challenging parts during the career. I think different managers was probably the other challenging part, but the stability that that gave our family for as long as it did really catapulted off of those three weeks in our business. I would say that the most challenging part was 
I think made a pretty courageous decision that we were going to hone in on helping fathers. And we parted ways with a a nonprofit that was a cash cow for us. Um, Because if you've worked with nonprofits before, if you get people that have a grant, they write checks pretty freely to marketing people. They're, They're not always the most discerning people. So when we walked away from that, Quinn was born two weeks earlier and we walked away from 72 grand a year to focus in on what we were doing. That was a really hard year. I mean, we went from pretty much me making what I made in sales, but a hundred percent of it was ours, you know, versus the commission to having one kid to having two kids, 21 months and under and walking away from 72 grand. But had we not done that, I know that our business wouldn't be where it's at now. We wouldn't have the peace that we have now in our family. It went down, but then it's it's gone back up. But it's gone back up with loyal clients that are a really good fit for us. We're a really good fit for them. And then just all the branding and everything that's happened in from niching down to fathers just wouldn't have happened probably wouldn't have met you. I mean, just there, there's so many, I was talking with Dustin about this. We actually had a kid free date night last night. We saw mission impossible seven and I was just talking about all the little thin threads that kind of have come forward over about the past year when we'd made that decision and that it seemed really hard at the time, but it was really probably one of the best decisions. So I would say both of them were just like courageous, mature moments were the hardest, but most, the most fruit came from them. They were the most rewarding. Yeah. It's taking that leap where you don't know how Mm -hmm. things will work out, but you have to do it and you have to sacrifice something now for the bigger reward in the future. Now, what are your future goals now at this point that you've, you've had a long corporate career, you've had a couple of years in the business. What are your future goals? So the first goal is by the end of the year to have Dustin home a hundred percent. We were able to cut him back a day and a half in May. Uh, we have two more days to cut him back. Um, he Now, it, it's all through our business, but we have an off-site client. It's a kitchen and bath remodeling company uh, really close to our house. It's a family friend, but we can't help them virtually. We, yeah. He has to go in. And so to our two and a half and 21-month-old, like it might as well be a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because him and my daughter, they are buddies. Yeah. I mean, he did the one in 5 a.m. feedings because I was still working corporate at the time. And for Annalise to be a sane human, I needed sleep. Yeah. So I would pump. He would feed bottles to her. And so she went from having both parents home for two and a half years to all of a sudden daddy's walking out the door. And it's not gone well. Um, This has probably been like maybe the first week where she hasn't had like a complete meltdown about him being gone because they're just, they're buddies. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know we have goals beyond that, but I am so like honed in, laser focused on that. Like everything I'm doing, any, you know, podcast I can be on every bit of, you know, branding or just awareness about the company that I can do. Um, I'm up late, you know, I was texting you or DMing you last night, like past midnight, figuring out the best hook for a post to try and grab like extra people. Yeah. Thanks for that, by the way. Oh, did Um, it work? Seems to. Um, Over a thousand impressions and 72 comments or something like that. I don't know. That's good. 
I, I think the picture of Quinn helps too. Yeah. For sure. Anytime I can sneak him in. <laughs> um, but yeah, beyond that, um, we want to scale. We want to be able to um, not only get Dustin home, but then like earn his time, like to maybe pass some things off to some of the simpler tasks to other people so he can free up even even more time. And then just individually, you know, helping each of our clients hit their goals, you know, be able to do your business full time because it's what you love. Helping just our clients miss less moments. I mean, it's, it, it's not just a cheesy catchphrase. Like it's very personal to me. Yeah. Um, do you ever just have those little moments where you're like, I am really impacting people yeah. with my mission. There's a mover. So I'm going to shout out another one of my clients, Hercules moving. If you're in Cincinnati and storage, if you need storage, um, Ron Hearth, he's an amazing individual and would be hilarious probably to have on your show. Cause I'm pretty sure he doesn't have it. Yeah. I'd love to have him on. But he um, texts, I, I said, hey, how's it going? And he said, Annalise, I have no idea. I'm in South Carolina with my grandkids. And I was like, yes. Like that right there is like the perfect text message for me to get back and realize that I'm making an impact because he so is confident that his business is handled. He can leave and go on a vacation like that's what I want for my clients. So just being able to help them reach that level of what that is for them are big goals for me too. Cause there's a quote above Dustin's desk and I think it's Sig Ziglar. You might know better than me, but it's, if you help enough other people get what they want, I think it's from see you at the top by Zig Ziglar, but it's, if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And that's always been our philosophy. Like when I was in corporate now, when we help our clients hit their goals, we by default hit ours. Yeah, I love that. Now, this is going to be an interesting question. So take some time Whoa. to think if you need. If you saw a 16-year-old to 16-year-old Annalise walking across the street today, what would you tell her? Well, one, I would tell her that there are um, you know, job opportunities where she can help people advocate. For people other than the five that you do as make-believe as a kid, right? Lawyer, doctor, policeman, <laughs> teacher. Because honestly, that's why I picked lawyer because none of the others sounded appealing or like I would want to do. Um, I would tell her to take a year off of school before she went and I never would have gone. There are so many kids that go because mommy and daddy say that they should. And I'm not knocking that. Um, school was very important to my parents. It was a rough year for them. <laughs> I sat down and said I was leaving school. And then my sister, who was 16, so talk about 16 to 18 year old versions, said college is for or high school is for people that want to go to college. I want to be a massage therapist. And at 16, she dropped out of high school, got her GED, was a licensed massage therapist by 18 and has been one for 16 years. She's 34. So she was ahead of her time. Uh, that's my sis. But I think kids should take a year off. And I think that they should go do an apprenticeship or internship or whatever they call it these days at where they think they want to be when they grow up and make sure it's what they really want to do. Could have saved 13 grand. I mean, there's some good things that happened by going to Boston. And some of them are priceless. So maybe I would have paid the 13 grand. But knowing what I know now, College, unless my daughter, you know, wants to be a vet or a doctor or something where, you know, 
you should get an education so you don't hurt people. I see her as a business owner. I mean, she already, like, I told her I was in a call. Can I come? Can I be on it? Can I say hi? I mean, she's already networking. Um, you take her to a networking meeting, she's passing out my business cards. So just raising our kids in, in business ownership. And I didn't even get into that part of my story, but, you know, my parents planted a huge seed, my mom mostly, by being a business owner her whole life. And just seeing that example, I'm actually, I didn't mention this, but uh, fourth generation female owned family business owner. So back to my great grandma. So she went door to door selling lipstick wild back then. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many years ago that was, but yeah, just, I think just really taking that year off and like, what do you really want to do? Like, because until I was in sales, like I never really got that, like, Oh, like I'm really good at this. Like, you know, and being able to try out different things before you invest a lot of money. I love that. Now, thank you so much for sharing your experience. This was such a cool episode. I hope that person who thinks they can help and be an advocate realizes that there are many more ways to advocate for people. And it really comes down to in how you approach a profession, because I find that as long as you care, you can advocate for someone. Annalise, how would people follow you, get in touch with you, support you? So I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, so you can find me there. Um, I think you can see the spelling of my name because my the spelling of my name took me three weeks when I had to learn how to write <laughs> to spell. But also never miss a moment consulting.com can send me a message directly there. Also that same uh, never miss a moment uh, consulting on Facebook are all places that you can find me. Thank you so much for your time. Welcome. Looking forward to seeing where your business goes. Thank you so much. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.